Sierra Cornell, and welcome to Songwriters Unblocked. With new episodes released weekly, the show is an in-depth exploration of the songwriting process. I interview writers from all genres and backgrounds, and we have conversations on the ins and outs of inspiration, effective storytelling, overcoming writer's block, and more. From the nuts and bolts of songwriting theory to the emotional side of putting your hopes and fears out into the world, I go deep with each one of my guests to uncover what it means to be a songwriter. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Davin Kingston is a Los Angeles-based songwriter, producer, artist, lyricist, multi-instrumentalist, and vocal producer. He graduated from Berklee College of Music in 2021 and moved to LA soon after. Davin has established himself as an artist-first writer and producer, known for his role in developing artists Avery Lynch, Rowan Drake, Blue Eyes, Savannah Scrow, and Loy Vey. Upcoming releases include Jonah Kagan, Rowan Drake, Zevia, Suriel Hess, Alexa Capelli, Joshua Bassett, Aiden Martin, Blue Eyes, and Thomas Day. Hello, Davin. Welcome to Songwriters Unblocked. Hello. Great to have you here. Great to be here. So the first question that I always ask everyone is, what was the first song that you ever wrote? First song I ever wrote? Hmm. I think I'm forgetting the first, first song I ever wrote. Or maybe not. But what I, the first one I can think of that I remember is this one called So Many Things I Never Said back in middle school when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> mm, and it was definitely a unrequited love song. <laughs> so... That's awesome. where it all started. Awesome. And how did it go from there? So you wrote this first song in eighth grade and did you keep writing? Did you take a break? Or when when was the moment where you were like, this is kind of what I wanted to do? Hmm. There's definitely like a long period of my life where it was just a creative outlet and it was like never going to be a job or what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I think the expectation from like my parents and stuff was that it was a hobby and honestly, I kind of agreed with, I mean, you know, like they always just was like, if you're doing music, make it a hobby and don't make it the full-time thing. And I was like, that makes sense to me, you know? So I just kind of never even thought about it until I was choosing where I was going to go to college. And I had like, I had one music option in there. It was Berkeley. And uh, like my plan to get into Berkeley was to do the Harvard dual degree program which would be like the way to make it make sense to my parents in my mind. And I kind of gave myself this one shot to do it. It was like, oh, if I get into the Harvard Berkeley program, my parents will be okay with it. My grandparents will be okay with it. I'll be okay with it. Like it'll be, that's my ticket to do it. If, if I fail doing that, I don't deserve to do music anyways. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like way too much pressure on myself. And I didn't know it like, I don't know. It was like a weird wait, but um, I really, really tried to do that. So I applied for Berkeley and got in. And then I applied for Harvard. Did not get in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was at that point, I was like, oh, I'm going to give up. You know, that was it. Um, and I decided to, I applied for a bunch of other schools. So I was going to end up actually going to NYU for computer science. Wow. Um, randomly enough. And I got all the way where I was enrolled. I had a roommate. And I was signing up for classes. So I was like pretty committed to this path of like, I don't know, I would, the more traditional like sense of like nine to five um, route where you go to college for four years and you get a job out of it. And 
I remember the exact, it was June 22nd, 2018, where I was going to go to NYU. So don't know if any of this makes sense. Am I talking in like a chronological order here? Yeah, yeah. No, okay, this is perfect. great. Keep going. <laughs> it was June 22nd, 2018, and I was signing up for classes at NYU. So I was like really into it. Like it was in my local newspaper in my high school. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to NYU. I'm like in one of my classes on the board, everybody wrote where they were going to college and I wrote NYU. You were, you were like, committed. I was committed. I mean, fully into it. And I was signing up for classes and I couldn't sign up. They keep the schools like very separate. So I was in the engineering program. So the engineering program was in Brooklyn and was like very distant from all the other schools. And what's like, I didn't realize this until I was signed up for classes, but I couldn't sign up for any music classes because it would have been years before I could do the form to apply to go to a different school. And I had this like big awakening moment where I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, it was like the first time in my life I feel like I kind of like reflectively, like just completely independently of everything was like, is this what I want to do? You know? Mm. And was like, no. <laughs> to computer science and engineering so i i don't know it was like a really big decision from that point um but i eventually made it and i like decided i called berkeley back because i had like declined them at this point and been like take my money please <laughs> i'll do it and they did <laughs> yeah. so berkeley was very open it, like i just called back was like i made a mistake i want to go and they were like cool um and reopened the enrolling and from that point, like once I made the decision, I was very blessed to have like my parents supportive. Um, once I like was totally committed to it, you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. from that this point, forward, I also, doing. exactly. And that was like a big moment where I was like, okay, from this point forward, music is it. Like I've seen, I kind of like walked up to the other doorway of like, oh, I can do this to like other, you know, try I, or I can like not do music. And I mm -hmm. walked to the other doors and I was like, no, that's not it. So at this point I knew like, oh, I have to make music work kind of in my head. So from there, yeah. From I ended there up you made it work. <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying my best. You know? still, still trying to make it work, but yeah, yeah. You're, you're not doing too bad. Um, that's, that's really interesting because I think um, some of the people that I've talked to have also had a similar moment where they're like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I was on this completely alternate path and something in me just pushed me forward and said nope you're gonna you're gonna do music and I mean the music industry is possibly the polar opposite from engineering um yeah. you know in terms of like lifestyle and stability and all of that um like what you do on a day-to-day -day is just so crazy different um and I, it's it's always really interesting for me to hear you know like what those moments are for everyone and how it it becomes like your your life because um, I definitely had a, a similar process and was not going to do music and you know applied to Berkeley out of high school didn't go um, took me like two years to come back around to it and then you know I was like this is this is what I'm going to do and um, it's it might not be easy but it's going to be fun <laughs> so yeah um, definitely and I think I mean for me it was such an important moment to have like this oh, I'm going to like, this is my, it was like, it wasn't a casual decision. It wasn't like, mm. oh, I'm, I'm going to go to Berkeley for a couple of years and try it out. It was like, oh, you know, this was my moment where I was like, I'm deciding to do this, I'm putting 100% into it. 
Yeah. And so that change was, you know, a, a decision in school, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Berkeley and pursue music. And how did you treat your time at Berkeley? Did you, do you feel like you approached it differently because you had such internal conviction or were you just kind of going with the flow as, as things came up there? Um, I definitely was like very purposeful with my time there mm-hmm. for sure. And I do feel like a lot of that contributed to that moment of like being like, this is what I'm going to do because I don't know. I remember like Berkeley is an amazing opportunity, like very talented people. But what blew my mind is how many people you'd walk up and be like, oh, like, and you don't need to have it like figured out. But like, there was like this energy of like, oh, I don't know what I like. People didn't even know if they want to do music sometimes, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like they would kind of just like go through the classes, you know, just treat it like any other school. Um, And I think Berkeley is like a tough place to make that work where you kind of just like go through classes. It's not like a, you, you go through four years and then at the end you come out and you apply for jobs and you get a job and you live the rest of your life, you know? Like yeah. it's not going to work like that because it's so competitive. And... I don't know. I like try. I mean, I remember very actively being like, okay, here's the steps I'm going to take to like make this happen. And I started like, I mean, it's such a collaborative place that I reached out to everybody I could to start producing for them mm-hmm. and kind of just honed in my craft. I mean, it, to me, it felt like, oh, this is the time, you know, it's like a safety net of being in school. And this is the time to get like my 10,000 hours in and really work for people. I mean, I don't even think I was that good at producing when I got in at all. And I remember just like having the active mindset of, oh, I'm just going to tell people I'm a producer with like the utmost confidence. So they think I'm good, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and like fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely very intentional. And I think about that a lot, actually. That's, that's good. And I agree. I think they're having that mindset out of place like Berkeley is very important because you're right you're not just going to be able to come out with your degree and apply to jobs. It doesn't really work like that. And I think I realized that a little too late, but at the same time still was able to, to get there at a, at a certain point and um, not just go through the motions. Cause it, it really, I think the collaboration and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's those people and who you're working with and how you're building your skills that, that matter. And I think that's true regardless of whether you go to music school or not. Like if you can focus on, you know, reaching out to people and saying like, Hey, this is what I do. want to work together. And I think that has so much return on, yeah, on your investment, like for sure. And, you know, just really honing in on your craft and, and getting slowly, steadily better and better every single day. Absolutely. And it's so important. I mean, yeah, I like to think a lot of these kind of overarching ideas apply not just to like a Berkeley situation, but to life in general. Like I have a couple of friends now I'm in LA. So I have a couple of friends that are out here. There's one guy who just moved out here when he was like 18, you know, but he had that same conviction. Like he's just a really interesting guy and so talented and so smart, but he just had that conviction. Like I, I remember the first time I met him, he was like, I have the date that I'm going to play the garden tattooed on my arm. 
And I was kind of like 50, like it's 50, 50, like you're crazy. And also Mm -hmm. you just, you want to run into someone that convicted, you want to believe in someone that convicted and support. And I mean, he had already had that moment where he decided in my case to go to Berkeley, but he had had Mm -hmm. that moment where it was like, oh, I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and regardless of whether or not that date actually happens, it's that constant reminder and that constant um, focus or, or, you know, where's my attention? Where am I putting my attention to have that constant reminder tattooed on you? I think is, you know, whether you go get a tattoo or not, I think that's a really important thing to have um, where you're just constantly redirecting yourself like back towards this North star of, you know, where am I going? And, thinking about this the other day where I think so many people in the music industry aren't successful because they don't actually define success because it's not like, you know, okay, if I'm going to be a doctor, you know, I go through undergrad and then I go to med school and then I do residency and fellowship. There's no path. Like there's, there's just no path. Everyone is going to take a different road to get where they go. And if you don't have something very clearly defined for yourself, you know, whatever that means. I hear so many people say, oh, well, I just want to make a living off my music. Like, what does that mean to you? Do you really like understand, you know, like where that's going to come from, how you're going to do that? And I I would be pretty confident to say that, you know, a lot of people who, you know, end up later in life and they're like, well, I tried, you know, and I failed. And it's just because you never defined, you know, what is failure? What is success to me? Because nobody's going to do that for you strongly agree with that and that's i mean i've never heard it said like that but that's really cool i think it's about like well the way you said it like defining goals and defining success is a very great way of putting it yeah, especially the because actively being like oh this is where my money's going to come from or this is what i'm going to be like you know setting these benchmarks for yourself where you kind of have like a, a ladder to climb or like a path to follow yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's always going to change. Like, I mean, where I was a year ago is so different from where I am now. And the things that, you know, I'm striving towards and doing every day is totally different. I think year to year, everything changes so dramatically. But being able to have something, some sort of like internal compass, like guiding you and helping you make those decisions and um, really understanding where you're headed. Because a songwriter, maybe in Michigan is going to look very different from, you know, New York or from LA. And, um, I would encourage everyone listening to, to, you know, really think about that and continuously reevaluate. Like, what do you want to be doing like on a day-to-day basis? Cause at the end of the day, okay, maybe, you know, you win a Grammy, you don't win a Grammy, but like it's, it's that day-to-day that really defines your life. True. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your songwriting process? Because you're a producer, you're a writer, you work with so many different people. How do you go about navigating those different roles? Co-writing is a very learned skill. So a lot of my time when I started co-writing was like learning how to become what is needed in the room, Mm. specifically as a producer and a writer. (laughs) Um, And I made it my goal to like be the glue in a room. You know, so if it's like four of us learning how to like evaluate, oh, this person's good at this, this person's good at this, like what is missing? What is needed? And naturally as the producer in the room, a lot of time that is like production, you know, but I mean, there's like a lot of subtle like 
vibe things or I don't know. It's almost like you're the curator of the room and keeping the momentum up and stuff like that. So I really think it like switches up every time. And it honestly depends like on the type of writer you're working with. I work with a lot of, a lot of my people that I work with are like singer songwriters, very traditional, like writing on piano and guitar. So those are like, I would say that's my strongest room right, right, right now because I kind of step away from the computer. A lot of the time I'm not even producing until the very end of the session because we're just writing on piano or guitar. Um, but there are some rooms where like I, st- I start off with the track and do that type of thing. So not helpful, but it switches up every time, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is so different. And I really liked what you said about being the glue or figuring out what the room needs and trying to fill that role because the best rooms are the ones where everyone's complimenting each other and you can do what you're best at and let the other people do what they're best at because I don't know. I find that the for me at least the rooms that tend to go south are the ones where you know maybe everybody's trying to do everything or nobody's listening to each other. I think I've heard time and time again and experienced it myself and say it to other people too. You know, like listening is the most important thing to do as a co-writer. Like if you can't listen and you can't, you know, really read the room, feel what's going on, see what's needed, you're not going to get very far. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, listening is the strongest skill. Being able to like step out of the way of yourself and like let someone else shine is so important being able to like look at things objectively in a room and be like, do I like this? You, you can't have any ego at all. You know, you can't be like, oh, I like this more because it's my idea. That's where like rooms start to die. And totally. I always say my one requirement for a room is just for someone to be willing to push the song. I think if anybody in the room says like, I think this could be better, it's important to try, you know? Because, like, I don't know, my worst rooms and my least productive rooms are, like, when someone in the room is like, oh, this is better. And then someone says, no, I like how it is, my idea. And then the song kind of just plateaus, you know? Yeah. And maybe they're right, you know, but it's I think it's important to try for, like, the sake of pushing the, the art, you know, making better art. Absolutely. And I think we're, as just as humans, we tend to take the path of least resistance and like, oh, well, if there's something there, you know, like, why would I come up with alternate ideas or, you know, why would I rewrite the section if I already have something or, you know, try to find a better melody? Like, I think really, you know, being able to edit is a huge skill and it's hard. Like it's, it's crazy hard sometimes where you're like, oh my God, like we've been doing this for hours and, you know, it's still not working. I think that's also, to me, that's also a learned skill is like editing Mm because it doesn't come naturally. You know, you come up with something and then you live with it. And then to go back like a week later and be like, is that verse really good enough? And then to rewrite is like, it just is learned, you know? And I, one of my roommates is one of the examples I think of when it comes to this. He had, he wrote the song, No Promises for like Demi Lovato and She Codes. Promise me no promises. Very good song, but he said that mm-hmm. he they had the chorus and the pre-chorus for like the first day, you know, within like the first couple hours, and then the verse they rewrote for a week straight, every mm-hmm. single day, you know, and they just did it and did it and did it over and over again. And how many times? I mean, 
I like to I like to rewrite a lot, but I've, there's never been a time in my life where I've done that much rewriting. <laughs> you know, and it's clearly worth it. So I don't think it's like it shouldn't be like taboo or anything that you shouldn't feel weird about rewriting sections. Yeah, I think there's a tendency to to take whatever was done in the session and just be like, well, guess that's it. And I, I agree. It's, it is a learned skill being able to revisit things and not get stuck in your ways. And I, I think it's, it, I love hearing stories about people who have had, you know, successful songs that they just rewrote and rewrote and rewrote because it proves that sometimes that's the process, you know, it may come easy. You might write a song in 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That is fantastic. But I think like the real work that makes those songs possible is when you do those rewrites and you edit and you figure out how to make something work when it's not working. Because it's been such an invaluable part of the process, navigating editing like that. Yeah, 100%. I also think like another thing. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing I keep in mind when I'm like rewriting sections or I'm feeling like, oh, is this good enough? My constant like thought is in music, you are competing with Ryan Tedder or Benny Blanco or any of these like big, big writers, Ed Sheeran. You're competing with them every single day. (laughs) You know, there's only like how many, you know, how many songs make it to uh, the bad example, but New Music Friday, Mm. you know, like a hundred. And every single time, it's those same people on the top. And that's who you're competing with, technically. Intimidating thought. So don't think that when you're first starting out. (laughs) But it's like, I don't know. When people start to like settle, when I'm in a room and it just feels like, oh, we're just kind of like being like, and this is okay and like moving on. I'm like, you know, that's not how you make your best work. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it is helpful to think about who you're up against. You know, maybe maybe it can be discouraging when you're just starting out or, you know, like, oh, well, how am I ever going to, you know, write a better song than this person or that person? But knowing where your benchmark is, and I think that comes back to, you know, what I was saying before about defining your success, right? Like really being able to evaluate what your goals are, where you want to go, and then who are those people that are already doing that? And are you creating the music that's on par with, you know, these music legends? Because, you know, and maybe you aren't right now, but always constantly striving to better yourself and reach that point, I think is is really important. And I find that there's you know, a subtle narrative of like, oh, well, you know, music is objective and it's creative, so you can do whatever you want. And to a certain degree, that is true. But at the end of the day, you know, making sure that that lines up with your goals, because if you're trying to, you know, write hit songs, you need to make sure that you're writing hit songs. Yeah, it's very... And and accurately evaluating yourself. Yeah, it's very craft-based. I actually find it because like, so the narrative like music is subjective under that pretense it's like you can kind of create whatever right mm-hmm. and under that narrative it's hard to evaluate how good a song is you know you can make a song and you can throw it out to the world and you can be like 
happy with it and you can be like why does this not did this resonate or did it not resonate but i think like as i've become a better songwriter i've very like actively seen the correlation between how it resonates with people and how it like doesn't so you know i think the better of a songwriter i become the more my songs resonate with people on like a consistent basis mm-hmm. and i mean one of the ways i see this is through tiktok just because it's such an easy platform to like get things in front of people and see do they resonate do they not but as my songs have become better i think like it more consistently resonates with people on tiktok which is just it could be tiktok it could be like if you're playing it on the street you know it's just like in front of people and people are like do i like this or not um which i actually find incredibly reassuring because it's like i mean it's great to see an active i think a lot of the time people are like uh music isn't even good nowadays like why would you know you don't even need to put in the time to like it doesn't feel like this thing where oh you become better at it and it, it does better you know mm-hmm. but i really think if you work on your craft and become really good and like undeniable then you will yeah. succeed success you know absolutely i think there's a lot of talk about, you know, like, oh, well, talent and subjectivity and all these things that we can't measure and that we tend to use as excuses for it's like, oh, well, you know, that, you know, Ed Sheeran's just really talented, you know, and I, that's not something that I can learn. Like you can't learn talent. Um, but we forget to look at the other side of it where, you know, certainly people have tendencies towards one thing or another, but I have come to, you know, fully dismiss talent as any any sort of um, thing to worry about or indicator of success or, you know, like, yes, you will have your musical geniuses, but nine times out of 10, they're really not the ones creating the music that we all listen to. Um, like statistically, that's just, it's actually just false. So um yeah. I think, you know, really understanding songwriting and music as a craft is super important. Like you said, like it is something that you learn and a skill that you improve and um, being able to take the time to, you know, really work on that and accurately evaluate yourself and be like, okay, you know, like where do I need to grow? Who do I need to you know, maybe work with to get better at a certain thing. Cause I found that for me, like co-writing is so great because it just makes me a much better writer. And I think the best song, like there's a reason all these songs are co-written. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's just important to have that backboard. Yeah. In a co-writing sense. What is your favorite part about songwriting and about sessions? I think you can kind of like feel it in the room when everybody's like really excited about something and you land on something that you all resonate with and love, you know? And it's like a rare feeling. It's almost like a high to mm-hmm. me because it's like, is a rare thing. It doesn't happen every single day. But to be able to like find something everybody in the room resonates with and express that and put that out into the world and make it like a thing that other people can resonate with is like a very powerful thing. And not something like many people get to experience in a daily basis, you know. So that feels great. It's also like, it means when the song is very meaningful to somebody. Um, I'm thinking like specific situations, but like 
a lot of the time. So I spent like a long time wondering why my music was bad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think a lot of it came down to like, we would just go in, write a song. And it wouldn't, it would just be like, what do we want to write about? What's cool? And we would just come up, with, make up something, you know? And then we would write a song about it and then leave. And then the song wouldn't do anything. It'd be like, it doesn't really hit. It doesn't resonate. And if you asked one of us who wrote the song, like, what is that song about? We would just say, like, oh, this like idea we made up, you know? And then I like listened to my favorite music and I was like, what is different about this? And it was just real, you know? Mm. And like any art is like that. I think that applies to like movies, to books. There's something, even in like the fiction, there's something corely realistic that like resonated to the author or the director or whatever um, yeah and i've found a lot more satisfaction fulfillment and success when i go into a session and like we have a real conversation and we're like what is going on in your life you know and then we write a song about something that it's like maybe it's about like some family thing or like a relationship or something like that where it's just real and it doesn't have to be like the mind, mind-blowing concept or said in like an amazing different way but it's like people want to hear real things. I mean, like, why do you ask yourself, why do you listen to music and ask yourself if like your songs are touching that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to tap into something that is, you know, in your rooted in your experience. And I spend a lot of my time writing with artists and telling their stories, but I find that, even if I've never been in a situation, you know, exactly like theirs, I, there's always something that I can relate to, you know, whether it's, you know, a feeling or a thought or a process, like there's so much shared between all of our experiences and the things that we write about and being able to tap into that and identify that for myself and, and help them tell their story in a way that's that I also feel and that I also resonate with because yeah, people want to hear real stuff. And And that's like, even going back to the question where you were like, how do you co-write or like, what's an important Mm -hmm. part of your writing process? I think that is one of the most important things when co-writing is to like really actively listen. And I mean, I'm very, and I like, this is like a very learned skill, but when I'm going into a session, I'm just very actively listening like all the times, even before we're thinking about like writing, you know, we're just like talking or whatever. And if someone is taught bringing something up or talking about something, you know, that deeply affects them, where's the moment they can be talking about some situation that I've never been in. Maybe they're like, I was back in London and I met this person, Sarah, and then Frank. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't been to London. <laughs> Who's Sarah? Who's Frank? Mm-hmm. I don't like technically have any of these specific experiences, but where's the moment where I'm like, oh, I relate. To, I've been there, you know, mm-hmm. in my own situations and with my own Sarah, my own Frank. Yeah. And it's like, that is the moment where you should be like, oh, we're all in the room resonating to this. It means something to all of us. Even if there's like specific details are switched out, that's the moment where I'm like, I felt something and I, you know, was there with you. So... Absolutely. And I find it's also a process of uncovering, you know, what's the deeper truth behind this? Like, what is that, that 
thread that kind of like, you know, goes all the way down and is like that anchor to whatever you're talking about, whether it's, you know, like a situation or, um, you know, an experience like where's cause, cause you'll go through a lot of layers of like, okay, this happened and this happened and this happened. And I find that I'm able to, when I'm listening, I'm able to find that. And if I'm, you know, talking and, you know, going off on tangents or whatever, and, you know, not really paying attention to what this artist is telling me. Um, I miss that. I miss that thread and, you know, really being able to figure out like, okay, what is the song really about? Cause there's, you know, from every, any situation you could get a thousand songs out of it. Like I truly believe that you can write so many different angles and so many different, um, so many different stories from one experience. And yet, the truest song is going to be the one that, you know, has, or the best song is going to be the one that has that sense of, of real, like honesty and truth at, at the base of it. Yeah. hundred percent. The authenticity, like the authenticity has to come through. I think like a lot of people might listen to that and be like, Oh, but you listen to the radio and it doesn't feel like that. But I think that's wrong. <laughs> and I, the reason I think that's wrong is just because like if creating any piece of art that resonates with like the majority of the world is an incredible feat you mm -hmm. know or like a large portion of the world it could be a movie it could be a book any like a painting you know anything that like on a whole resonates with humanity is an incredible feat an amazing thing incredibly rare incredibly hard to do you know even Absolutely. in the case of like i don't know if there's like a specific song you're thinking of where you're like ah oh, this blew blew up and i don't know why and it's like i don't get it um it's important to acknowledge like why did this resonate with uh, so many people you know and i mean i think most of the time it comes down to authenticity and like the like there was something in the room they made that and they were like you know i feel this even if it's like the most simple concept or idea in the world about the song it's like it was real it resonated and there's a reason that that transfers to resonating with everybody who's listening to it you know absolutely and, and really at the end of the day it's the people who listen to it who drive that you know it, it's it's a chain reaction like the more people listen to it the more people listen to it the more people listen to it you know and it, it expands out from there and i think like oh well you know they have a label and they have money and marketing and whatever and yeah like i you know all of that stuff is totally important but at the end of the day like you don't have a hit that people you know aren't listening to like it's a hit yeah. because so many people are listening to it and because it resonates you know whether it's exactly how you would have said something or not it it touches so many people and it's a huge feat. I mean, that's, it's crazy to think like that, you know, a few people were in a room and wrote a song that is heard by billions around the world. Like yeah, that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I think one of the instincts there is to be like, oh, but the record, you know, the record label did it. Mm -hmm. Like, let's think about, I don't know, big song right now, ABCDFU, which is Grammy nominated, which is insane. Mm -hmm. But like, a lot of people think Gail is industry plant, you know, record label. I don't know. There's like a, a conception around the song that like, 
ah, this is just like formulatic, like no. corporate label made thing. And it's not. Because if labels could make hits and could create, if consistently like just blow up an artist, like they would do it every time. Yeah. And they don't, you know, like hundreds yeah. of people fail on labels. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. The idea that like, it's not just, it's not a real thing. You know, a label can't make people listen to a song. A p label can't make people call radio stations and be like, I want this song to be on the radio more. Or like, can't make people like stream it on Spotify. They can put it in front of like a bigger audience. But mm -hmm. like, will, does that audience stay? You know? Absolutely. Um, I think that that piece about like, do they stay is so huge. And thinking about how you're building your audience as an artist, you know, I, it's a little different for writers, but, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, you can have followers out the ass, like, but if you don't have like fans, what, what's the point, you know, where's yeah, it that mean conversion? It doesn't mean anything. And at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're making music to resonate with people and, you know, yeah, it's easy to sit in our studios and be like, Oh, I'm doing this for myself. But at the end of the day, you're, you're not cause that song goes out into the world and it's for people out there. Like we write songs for ourselves all the time, but really it's, it's about the audience. And I, I never understood when I was younger. Oh, like why do artists like think their fans so much? Like, I, I don't quite get it, but I get it now. Cause it, it really is like, it's the people that listen to the music and the people that, um, support the story and the message that's that's where you you create you know legends and uh, you know a strong career in the music industry you know like whatever it may be that it, it's all about the audience and yeah labels they do it every single time if they could <laughs> i think labels do a lot but at the same time you know they have limits and they don't do everything mm -hmm. 100%. I mean, it's just, I find all of this incredibly reassuring because it's like the songwriting matters. Yeah. You know, like, because if a label could just take like any old song and just blow it up and get a billion streams, like that would mean this music doesn't matter, you know, and the songwriting doesn't matter, but it does, you know, because if yeah. they could do, if a label could take ABCDFU or like, I mean, I think that's a great song, honestly. I think I it's like too. a hit. Yeah, it's and great. I think it's incredibly well written, mm -hmm. and I think the conception. I know Gail, so mm -hmm. the conception that she, they had that song for like three years. Yeah, nobody at the label even thought anything of that yeah. song, and mm -hmm. Gail did not write it. I don't even think TikTok was like around really when she wrote it. So yeah, it she wasn't wrote it like a long she, time ago. Yeah, it wasn't even like she wrote it to like for TikTok formula, which is like the conception because it's ABCDFU and it's like ah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, like we're TikTok. Like, yeah, but that's not what it was, you know? And if you ask, like also going back to the thing where it's like, write about real experiences. If you ask Gail, who's the song about? She would have like a specific person to tell you. It wouldn't be like, oh, I thought of this idea, you know? Right. Um, so it like feels, I mean, it's a real song. It's a real art. And there's like, you know, I personally, I work with this label that did this. And they have like 10 other acts that are in the exact same position Gail was. And if they could just do that every time, they like would to all these people. So 
don't know. It's important to keep that in mind because I think it's very reassuring that oh, the art matters. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody yesterday said to me, like, you know, not that these jobs aren't extremely important because they are, but, you know, whether it's mixing or engineering or even production, like these pieces of the puzzle that we tend to, um, you know, focus so heavily on are at the end of the day replaceable. Like what's not replaceable is the story and the song. And I was like, wow, that, that makes me feel a lot better about what I'm doing because really you're producing something around a song and it, it, it's, you know, if you have a bad song at the end of the day, you know, no twisting knobs or pushing buttons is going to, is going to save it. And it's not going to resonate with people and very true being able to reach a space where your song is, is meaningful to other people is super, I think that's the goal to me, to me, that's, that's why, why you write songs at all. Um, 100%. Switching gears a little bit. Cause I'd love to hear what your experience has been um, in these last few minutes here. Um, but you got a deal pretty early and um, I mean, you just hit the ground running and busy, busy guy all, all over the place doing so many things. Um, so tell us a little bit about what it's been like, um, you know, the process of, of signing a deal and working with people and, and really, you know, having s- such a, a young career in the industry and yet, you know, it's, it's going so, so well. Thank you. What's that been like? Uh, it's been great. I mean, I set very like intentional goals for myself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. To start this all off, I'm going to quote Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, great documentary on Netflix. And one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is that someone asked him like, Quincy Jones, after you've achieved, and it's crazy if you watch the documentary, this man is like the most, success- I mean, it's the most successful. It's insane how successful he is. He's crazy. It's it's like, how do you stay humble after Mm. like literally succeeding and becoming the best in every single thing you've set your mind to? And he was just like, man, how can I not like, how can I have an ego when I haven't even achieved any of my goals? And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, what are you, you know, you are like one of the most successful people of all time. But his point was like, he set his goals like in the stratosphere. And let's say he like he shot for that, missed, and got like halfway there, and became the best producer of all time. Um, intimidating, but like, I don't know. To me, I'm like just getting started. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So like, I have this like, it just drives me a lot. I mean, genuinely. My goal is to become the best producer writer of all time. <laughs> I love um, so screw it. <laughs> screw it. Like, why not though? Why you not? Know? Why set your sights any lower? Yeah, exactly. Because it like I feel very driven by this, and you know maybe if I don't do that, um, it'll end up somewhere pretty good, anyways. Right, you'll do some pretty cool things regardless. So. But. Yeah, so like then to lead into the like starting where I got signed, I remember very intentionally 
picking Berkeley because the person who signed my favorite artist, so my favorite artist is John Bellion, and the person mm-hmm. who signed him is an A&R named Cara DiGuardi. And I remember listening to a podcast of John Bellion talking, and he was talking about how he got discovered and signed, and it was through, he mentioned Cara DiGuardi's name. And he said, like, oh, she was an A&R at Warner, I think. And she listened, like, someone sent her the CD I made in college. And she, like, listened to it and wanted to sign me, called me the next day and signed me right away. Um, and then I saw at Berkeley, Carrie DeGuardi speaking and teaching a class. And I was like, whoa, she teaches a class there. And it was very, like, I had my eyes set on that. Because mm. I was like, she's not my favorite artist. I want to get signed by her. So, I mean, I have got this kind of like blueprint in my head of like what I was going to do. And I started like working towards that. Like, I mean, first like craft was like really working on my production. Um, I was writing, but not as much, honestly. And then I got into her class. So she, she teaches a class at Berkeley. Um, every fall she comes in and teaches like a boot camp class where it's 15 songwriters, five producers. And they basically just treat it like a real life songwriting class where every week you get assigned like a group and you write a song and you come back and she gives feedback as an NR. Um, and I was very lucky to get in this class. I got in this class my sophomore year. So I applied. It was very like, I remember the day I got in. I was so stoked. <laughs> um, and I had in my mind like, oh, I'm going to get signed from this class. Because <laughs> um, she has signed people from the class before. Right. So I went in first day and I came in with like well it was like the second week because the first week she had assigned us groups and everything like that I came in with my group and I thought like oh this is the best song I've ever made you know (laughs) this I like went on the production I like really tried and she like tore it apart (laughs) we were the first group to go we volunteered she was like anybody want to play songs we volunteered so first song ever played in that class for that year and the song ended and she was just like, I just like, don't get it. What is <laughs> no. this? What does it mean? And then she, but she asked us and she was absolutely right. She like, I mean, it was like, what does it mean to you? None of us could answer Like, what is the song mm. about? None of us could, you know? And that class, her whole message in that class is like authenticity. Like be real in your writing, you know, make it mean something. Um, it's not about nothing in that class you learn from her is like, Oh, the verses should line up like this. It should have this rhyme pattern. It's nothing. It's all authenticity. Um, and I was like torn apart when she tore the song apart for like 30 minutes. I was like heartbroken. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember being like, damn, I'm not going to get signed. Um, but I don't know. After 30 minutes, I felt like more inspired than I ever had. And it was like the first time someone had really been honest about my songs and been like, this is not good enough, you know? And I was like, well, damn, if it's not good enough, I guess I'll get better, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So like re-saddled up and I spent that whole class, like I tried so hard and I was like, learn, you know, I really started writing. Before that, I hadn't even really, in co-writes, I'd just been producer, but like she very clearly was like a very lyric co-writing person. So I really started like focusing on that and writing. Um, and that helped my production as well, because I think the better songwriter you are, the better producer you are. But yeah, I like worked my tail off that whole class and like 
really tried to make an impression on her. It was like my goal. You know, I had that kind of like blueprint in mind of that's what's going to happen. Um, so at a certain point, I played her one of my songs that I've written by myself. And that was when she really took an interest. It was called Drunk Me, which is actually out on Spotify. But she loved the lyric in that song. It was just one line. I think that's the why she signed me is because of that one line. Mm. It was just Drunk Me. Sober me thinks he can forget. Drunk me is not over you yet. Mm. And she was like, that. I love that. I haven't heard that. And I was like, oh. Didn't even realize at the time. I thought she didn't like the song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she says that's like the why, reason she signed me is because that one line. Which that's awesome. is interesting. But uh, yeah, so I started like being really in touch with her. I was just emailing her. Really made an effort. I like um, was scheming. <laughs> I sent her like Christmas cards, everything. You know, I was like trying my. You were doing absolute, it all. I was doing the most. Um, and eventually, she offered to make it official. So that was pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't even know. You know, it's, and it's. Go I don't know. It's like a specific situation. Oh, sorry. It's like a specific situation, but I think that mindset like applies. Like if you just, if not, like you're not going to Berkeley, you don't have care to already there. Like that mindset of like finding what's my way in, you know, and really like just like forcing yourself through it, not taking like, you know, not being okay with, oh, uh, that didn't work, you know, and like not giving up is like Absolutely. a very important thing. I think it's, it's such a, a testament to what we were talking about earlier with clearly defining you know what you're gonna do and where you're going and you know at the same time what you said uh, you know like uh, about Quincy Jones like shooting for the moon because why not and having a balance of both of those so like you know I, you know you went to Berkeley you're like I'm gonna get signed by Cara Diaguardi and you did it and at the same time having these huge dreams of being the best songwriter producer ever of all time and I think those like intermediary steps are really what make those big dreams possible and also you know not giving up and I, I mean so many people could have been extremely discouraged by that first song and thrown in the towel and been like okay well she hates me I'm you know I can't get better at this and I'm gonna that's that's it for for my career in the music industry um, and being able to move past it and get better and, you know, yeah, you have to get very I, comfortable with failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like, the most successful people have failed hundreds mm -hmm. more times than the average person. Yeah. You know, before they've had any success. Yeah. It's a prerequisite. You yeah, won't, absolutely. you won't see success unless you try and in trying you fail yeah. so, can't be scared of it no it's never fun i'm not gonna <laughs> say it's fun. you know no, it's not fun it's it's easy but being able to i, I don't know i kind of think of it like bad songs like i think bad songs are like essential to writing good songs like you have to write bad songs you will never write a good song if you don't write a bad song yeah, <laughs> many many bad songs you know maybe like i don't know five, 10 bad songs for every good song. And the same goes I for. I don't even know if I've written a good song yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know. Right. Like, man. 
all of these have just been bad songs and not taking it, it you know it doesn't have to determine your worth or determine uh, your future and I, I think we we can get very wrapped up in our our heads about all of it but each each failure is one step closer to yeah you're closer than you've ever been every failure <laughs> exactly. you're closer than you've ever been to success I love it. I love it. Um, well, what's on the horizon for you? Hmm. Yeah, just so to speed run after that, uh, <laughs> since getting signed, I've been writing a bunch of people, moved out to LA, just kind of doing the thing, you know, and finding, I think it's important to find these champions. So Kara has become like a champion of me. She really believes in me. Um, and she's like already in the industry. So she kind of can like mentor and then finding more of these mentors. So I've since then also signed to this writer, Michael Pollack who's an incredible big writer right now. Um, And like one of my best friends, such a nice guy. Um, Cannot thank him enough. Shout out. (laughs) But like finding out the rest of the team and finding these people who believe in you as well. So I've recently found management, lawyer. So like the team feels very locked in at this point. And this is as of recent. Um, So from here, it's really just like creating art. You know, just exciting. It's just like, gotta just write a good amazing song yeah that's great the when you really get to just focus on on writing songs and creating art and you know you've got that team behind you i mean the the sky's the limit the world is your oyster whatever other cliche you want to throw in there it's mm-hmm. it's all true yeah so well, that's exciting um i mean got songs coming out with Working with a lot more artists directly, so yeah. Cool. Well, where can people listen to your music, connect with you online? Oh, well, I've got my own artist project, but I haven't released music in a long time. It's under Davin Kingston, my name. Um, and if you want to check out some of the stuff I've written, there's some playlist on Spotify, like, like written by Davin Kingston, I think. Um, there's ways to find it. Also on my Instagram. At Davin, not Gavin, is a good way to keep up with the journey <laughs> to becoming the greatest producer songwriter of all time. Yeah, um, you heard it here first. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see on about the that. ground floor. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. This was a wonderful conversation, and you're well on your way to becoming the best writer producer of all time. And I wish My you the heart. best of luck. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having. Me. Well, I certainly feel inspired to go set my sights for the moon. This conversation with Davin was so great. We talked about goal setting, having conviction in our path, authenticity, the craft of editing, and so much more. So head over to Instagram and follow Davin at DavinNotGavin and check out his artist project along with other songs he's been a part of over on Spotify. Also follow the podcast at songwriters underscore unblocked and tune in every Monday for a new episode. This is Songwriters Unblocked. Thanks for listening. Thank you.